Welcome to the Midwestern Method Podcast. So today I am interviewing Casper Vandermeulen. Casper is a breath worker, biohacker, author, all kinds of awesome stuff. We had a really great conversation. I think you're going to love today's podcast. Um, I would like to invite you to take a look at our sponsors. Of course, we are sponsored by Mandala Chocolate, the most delicious and nutritious chocolate on the market. Uh, don't forget to go to Mandala Chocolate and take a look at my link below uh, in the show notes or in the uh, information box below for more on that. Also, head on over to, if, if you're looking for CBD, if you're into CBD, uh, they have topicals, they've got the tinctures and all kinds of uh, awesome stuff uh, over at Dream Nutrition. Take a look at that. Use my discount code for 5% off any uh, purchase that you make. Also, if you haven't joined the Patreon Club, what are you doing? Join it. It is uh, it is a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun every month. I add breathwork routines, new sessions, and a lot of times I'll be teaching you new techniques. And it's all done via Patreon. It's incredibly inexpensive to join, and it helps. It really helps keep everything that I'm doing going. So I really do appreciate all of those who are already Patreon members. I really appreciate it. And if you haven't joined, come on, let's join in, join the fun, and uh, and get to, to some breathing. So without any further ado, I hope you enjoy the show today. Welcome to the Midwest. My name is Jesse, and I'm here with Casper Vandermeulen. Casper is uh, a very special person to me. Casper um, is a, uh, uh, a mentor of sorts uh, for me, actually. Um, back whenever um, I was going through my master training for Wim Hof Method, Casper uh, was really the guy that, for me, translated a lot of the stuff that Wim Hof was saying. Of course, if, if you've ever listened to Wim, you know, sometimes it's a little hard to understand. And Casper was really good about really um, translating what's going on in the body, in the mind, all of these things for Wim Hof Method. Now, Casper has gone on to other things as well. He's, uh, he's published a book, Mind Lift. Um, I would show you my copy because I normally do that but uh, I'm, I just moved, so it's in a box somewhere, so you'll have to pardon me for that. But anyway, Casper uh, is uh, author, speaker, breath worker. You've been doing some really cool stuff, actually lately, with um, master classes in breath. And actually, let's just, start, I just wanna start right there, Casper. How do, I've seen some really cool uh, pictures of, it looks like lungs, actual, body parts that yeah. you're, you're <laughs> so so how did you manage to to get access at first i thought it was human uh lungs and i was like oh my god over there in europe they're just they just have access <laughs> to everything um but anyway thanks again so much for being on the podcast casper and um but yeah could you just what is the stuff that you're doing right now with those master classes in breath work yeah <laughs> that's it's funny because uh, there's two unique selling points and one of them is is microdosing psychedelic mushrooms and the other one is uh is uh, uh you know dissecting animal um 
animal organs. Uh, those are the only two unique selling points. It's just like the ones that stick out. Uh, you get to get high a little bit and you get to play with some organs. So Yeah, so one of the, one of the people who attended, they're like, I can't believe I had magic mushrooms and then blew into a sheep lung on the same day. But that kind of became the tagline. But there's much more going on. Um, no, I mean, uh, a good friend of mine is a biologist. We studied together and uh, her... She has a family that works in the University of um, uh, Veterinarian Studies. So that awesome. allowed me access. So, yeah, I've basically created this masterclass where I try to leverage all of the, the great connections I have and the great opportunities I have to learn and to teach into like a five-day course that, that kind of tries to bring it all together. And what's really amazing is in the last, um, uh, let's say, five to six years, when I since I got into the world of breath work, think there's been this convergence where things are just coming together. And from the very start, I've always been very adamant about teaching principles um, over methods. Now the methods are kind of the delivery mechanisms. And it just so happens that the Wim Hof method, I still think is the most powerful uh, delivery method. It's kind of, some people call it the gateway drug into the world of breathing. Yeah. Um, where Wim, uh, as a genius, just kind of blew the lid off all the, the like the secrecy and all the mystery around breathing. And he was like, "Listen, this is the technique. Do it. It's free." And boom, go with it. And and the whole world was like, "Oh, that's that's refreshing. That's not fake or weird." Well, a lot of it is very weird, but I mean, not in a way where, yeah, where yeah it's well, kind of. But it's it's amazing. And uh, so yeah, and and after I um I spent uh, some years teaching the instructor's course and also like I've always been very much into all the different, like I, I, I study in all different directions and I want to learn everything at the same time. And I just went into the rabbit hole of breathing specifically for a long time. And I just noticed that everywhere I got to talk, everywhere I came to talk about mindset, talk about self-optimization and biohacking, I would always end up using breathwork tools because they were the most powerful ways to kind of hack into the nervous system and help people manage their states. And after a few years of, of experimenting and just going in every possible direction and following the yogic and the scientific and everything in between, um, I was like, yeah, I want to I share this with the world. And especially because a very large uh, part of my audience uh, either works as a coach, as a yoga teacher, fitness instructors um, uh, in the health and, and sports world, um, or aspire to be coaches in that world. I was like, oh, I need to. I have now a kind of like a load of work um, of knowledge and understanding and experience that I want to share with people that really resonate with that, but in a very, um, in a very open way where it's, where it's not about, this is the specific, this is this technique and that is that method. And that is this, you know, little thing, but to kind of open the whole thing and just look at the principles and be like, listen, this, these are the core principles. And once you get those, you can understand and apply every possible breathing method. And uh, I'm just a total nerd for kind of like, you know, I used to, if, if, <laughs> like if a VCR would break as a kid, my mom, I'd come oh. home and she'd like, I have a surprise for you. And oh like, boy. Is it a present? And she was like, no, it's a broken VCR. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you were that kid. <laughs> yeah, and I would take it apart and like I'd bring like dead animals home and, and I'd cut them open. <laughs> that's, what I've been, uh, that's what I've been doing with, uh, with breathing techniques and with, uh, with, with kind of like the human experience just to kind of open up this, see how it works. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's kind of how that came together. And, and the reason I do it in the Netherlands now is because I have access to like the, the dissection lab and, and, the, and the, you know, psychedelic truffles and, you know, it's good stuff.
Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, because I think the thing about breathing is one of those things that I, for a long time, I had no idea that was, you know, a thing at all. You know, it was, yeah. it was just, it was like, okay, of course I breathe. And whenever I, you know, exercise, I breathe harder. And, you know, there's that kind of, yeah, I kind of, I get the fact that this is a thing, but the fact that one can modulate that and have some kind of an effect that is uh, a profound effect was kind of a mystery to me. I, I didn't even know, you know, um, cold training, breath work, and all those things. But I think you're uh, calling Wim Hof method a, a, a gateway drug. You know, I that I completely resonate with that. Um, whenever you do uh, your 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 classes now, now you have a background as a science teacher, as I recall. Isn't that right? Yeah. And so, so you've come, you've come quite a ways from that. Is, is it something that you still see yourself as, you know, fulfilling that same kind of a, a role as a teacher or, you know, do you see yourself as an athlete or? No, not at all. No, definitely. I've <clears throat> started to come full circle. And like when I, when I started doing this whole, whole career thing that I'm doing now and like a lot of public speaking a lot of workshops and seminars and intensives and retreats I, I didn't really um, uh, brand myself as a science teacher because science teacher sounds like something you have in school and it sounds like something you certainly do not want to pay and go visit yeah right <laughs> and it's it's weird because to me teachers are superheroes right and not the teachers Same. I had but yeah. a real teacher is a real like the, the truest superhero we have in modern times much like nurses for example mm -hmm. and, I, and i mean i come from a from a family that is just filled with with uh, teachers and nurses and usually people teaching nursing <laughs> okay <laughs> so okay I'm, I'm biased i'm biased in that sense um so uh, yeah but now I'm, I'm i'm starting to kind of call myself a science teacher again because that's what i'm doing you know and in, in, in this and i've done a lot of kind of like high-end coaching and i work with like the ceo networks and professional athletes and then it's um it's kind of like cool to, to kind of brand as like this high end uh, performance coach. But what it comes down to is I basically still teach science, but in a very different way, like the science of self mastery and self optimization. Um, but the whole point is to kind of, kind of explain to people how it works without getting caught up in the specifics of it and really trying to lift the veil a little bit to see, yeah, what's behind, what are the knobs and levers of how this stuff works. But when I left the education system, yeah, or actually when I still, the last years that I worked in the education system, I realized that the things that I was doing, the amount of like people skills and classroom management and walking into a room and setting a tone, um, uh, having an influence on people that were, uh, you know, or at least creating a, a setting and a, uh, yeah, a set a setting, a scenario within which you can be of positive influence in somebody's lives. These, these are all core skills that you train as a teacher. If you, if you, walk that path. I mean, there's plenty of teachers who do the exact same thing for 40 years. It never really works, but they also don't really fuck up. So right, <laughs> they kind of right. like just do their thing. But the real like teacher teachers, they've got so many amazing qualities. And I just realized that maybe um, I can do the same type of things, um, which is basically just getting in front of a room, telling stories, making bad jokes giving some insight Love in, in a setting jokes. where I have, <laughs> yeah. uh, in a setting where I have more freedom, you know, and, and more uh, influence also, because as you know, in, in the, in the education system, you're always, or at least I was always bouncing into the walls of that system and going like, okay, so where can I really innovate? Where can I really make a difference? 
And funnily enough, one of, one of the kids in my class, because um, I was always the kind of teacher I wanted to be like, you can do anything you want and the world right. is yours and go out there and make the world a better place. Yeah. And then one of the kids was like, yeah, but you can tell us all of that, but you're just a teacher. And I was like, <laughs> ouch, <laughs> what was that? And, and then I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, you're, you're telling us to, to go out into the world and make it a better place. And, and, and you're, you're, still, you're still just here. You're still just doing this job. And I was like, whoa damn that kind of like hit me hard but in a way i was like yeah it's true maybe i should maybe i should go out there and and really see whether this stuff works the, the things that i'm working with and that's what i've been doing but i definitely want to get back to um to education and i, I have a yeah. lot of opportunity right now to do that in a way where i can really stick to my core values and, and try to add something good there so it's, it's always been a part of my mission yeah that's awesome and when people come to you is there a specific I don't know, do, do you have a specific group of people that come to you specifically to, to learn, you know, hey, I want to become a better athlete or is there a specific path that people are, are generally looking to learn or what does really, a typical no. client look like for you? Well, I don't, I don't really have, so right now it's mainly uh, coaches and yeah. speakers, um, uh, people who want to learn to be coaches. This is now my main audience. And I had this period where I would just go wherever I was invited. And I was like, mm. I'm, I, I suddenly find myself in, in this life where people listen to me. Oh my God. Book with my name on it. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> and, uh, and the, the, for some reason what i'm doing seems to be working so i'm just gonna gonna take this surrender into this experiment and be like whenever somebody invites me to do anything i'll just say yes and i ended up like working with olympic athletes and with like the special forces um but the the core question is usually for well i well originally the question was always how can we get more performance that's what right. people were looking yeah. for and people were like oh we've heard that maybe through like mental training or through breathing we can maybe like increase performance a little bit mm -hmm. and so i was really um getting a lot of people in like for example uh yeah like a professional rugby player who would just always get winded halfway through a sprint and he, he's like my muscles are stronger i know i can do more than this but i always like i never have the full range and then you know i kind of like tried to figure out what went wrong and i was like i'll look at you and i don't right. know what's gonna what it's gonna happen i'll just look at it and and then i would see how they breathe and how they worked and what their kind of nervous system was tuned to perform like and i could usually find this this weak link in the chain and then and then they're like to my great surprise in a very quick and simple way fix this um and then they would go on and like add 20 or 30 percent onto their performance or like finish wow. the sprint without yeah. getting winded and i was like oh damn it's this this stuff is working so there's a lot and then you know it's just like word of mouth going from there to there and like athletes um generally but it depends you have these very traditional athletic kind of paradigms um where they're like we've been winning gold for ages in this yeah. specific way and this is how we're going to do it and they end up actually right. breaking a lot of good healthy young people uh, to, to to fit into that gold medal sure, uh, paradigm. Yeah. but there's also sports and, and places where people are willing to think outside the box so for example in crossfit and in mma mm -hmm. uh, this is a sport where it's relatively young there's not an ancient paradigm and they're just like hey give me give me three percent 
uh, performance gains and right. i mean that's like, i'll do whatever you want yeah yeah that's more than enough yeah especially in like the top five percent of performance you know with, with with professional athletes if they're like if i can get to sleep 10 minutes earlier you know if i can if i can if i can digest my food better if i can have like five more steps i mean in, a, in an mma setting if you have oh, five yeah. more seconds of of quality breathing which means you have self-awareness and control that is the win right so it kind right. of spread like that and people started finding me and uh um, and it, uh, i always have this feeling of like who am i to even talk to like an olympic <laughs> swimmer like a professional athlete is out of breath <laughs> professionally 20 hours a week who am i right. to tell them what to do you know i don't know like a lot of these sports the, the, the rugby player that came over i didn't even know what the terms were like do you call it a ball <laughs> Is right. it like a field? <laughs> uh, is it like kicking? And he there's has points and involved somewhere, right? Yeah. There's some kind of yeah. points. And, yeah. uh, and that also <laughs> helped me to kind of like not be in their world. I was like, so basically you, 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 you kick a ball into the right direction. People cheer and you get money, right? Yes, right, right. Yeah. There's something. Yeah, I get yeah. the basics. Yeah. And you want to be better at that. Okay, let's, let's look at what's, what's going on. So I've tried to be very open and very like not have... Um, necessarily an agenda or an idea of where these people need to get and that was very helpful because that allowed me to just look at the human mm -hmm. in front yeah. of me and to ask how did this human work and what i started to notice really early on is that uh, there was a lot of usually emotional mental um struggles kind of locked up into the behavior of the nervous system so i started to point out like hey if this person kind of like pulls up this muscle under this amount of tension, then that tells me more about how their nervous system is primed than about mm. whether that muscle functions properly or not. So to really look at the at kind of like what's going on there and to be able to explain that in, in a bit more of a scientific way of, mm -hmm. of what's going on. And then to increase the tone, for example, of the parasympathetic nervous system, and then the pain would go away or the injury would go away. Um, and that also led me to a lot of work with, with the more high-end kind of like high power CEO type of crowd right. who arguably are performance people. And, and this is the interesting thing. What I, what, I, what I saw with most of the people who are considered to be high performers, yeah. they perform high at a very specific thing, but they perform extremely low at being human. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you can run a multi-million dollar company, <laughs> uh, but can you sleep? Can you digest? I was like, I, I like at some point, I, I said, oh, you know, I don't know. I hope you, well, you can censor me if you want, but I, I always ask them like, can you, can you sleep shit and fuck? That's like, <laughs> can you do that? And, and it's These are important things in life. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I'm a biologist, I'm a biology teacher. And when you talk right. about biology, it always comes down. Everything comes down to reproducing and digesting. <laughs> that's kind of like the, and so, and, and sleeping of course. So, and, right. So if these people ask me like, yeah, how can I, you know, at the end of the afternoon, how can I have more focus and be like, you know, after my lunch, not have this dip, not need like five espressos to keep kicking ass for one more right. hour. And they're yeah. like, okay, so you want, you want that 5% performance gain, but can you perform the basic functions of being a human? And which is, can yeah. you get to sleep? Can you wake up uh, with energy? But especially, can you be intimate with your family? Can you mm -hmm. have intimate moments of family time when you get home? Could, do you actually, uh, and, and this is not even about performing in the bedroom when I talk about intimacy, right, can you right. actually come home, put your 
back down and look your spouse in the eye and have a moment of connection? Can you hug your kids when you come home without thinking of the 20 to-dos that you're doing? Because those are the most core human functions. And then you see that a lot of the high-performance lifestyle is taking away, uh, is kind of like borrowing from humanness. And then at yeah. some point, you're going to hit a wall and then you're going to have to you know, sit with that and, and fix that. So uh, it, that has led me to be less about you know, improving performance and more about let's, let's build a stronger base where your nervous system is capable of actually coming down into this parasympathetic ventral vagal state where you can recover and you can rest and you can be social. Um, and that has been, uh, yeah, the most interesting thing to me to see that every, everybody in that we societally kind of, uh, put on pedestals of, they have this amazing performance you know, athletes and singers and, and, and business people, uh, a lot of times they don't really, they, they kind of forget what it is to just, just be human. And, yeah. uh, it's, it's been very interesting to work with this kind of, this kind of crowds. Yeah. Cause so much I, of what I see is adapting to the life of just modernity, you know, modern life in itself, you know, adapting this, this, um, you know, I always say we're, we're using the same, you know, basic make and model of the first humans, you know, that came off the line and we're in this completely different environment. Um, and, and you're excelling at something that's not anything close to hunting and gathering, you know, uh, whether it's, it's running a business or it's, uh, you know, kicking a ball through a hoop or something like that. It's completely different from kind of what we originally were evolved to, to, to live in. So, so trying to take this, um, really to, to, to take all of those things that were naturally evolved to help us, you know, live uh, in, in, in nature. And then we're in a completely different environment. Um, I think that's one of the, the hardest things for, for high performing people to do for, for anybody to do really. I mean, if you take a look at just the average person, you know, we're following a lot of our, um, you know, internal, you know, biological needs. I want sweet, I want salty, you know, and you can see the effects on, on people's health. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's really a holistic thing. Um, and so those are some of the principles that you teach as well as breathing then. Is that right? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you can't outrun evolution, you know, yeah. and, um, we, we've been primed, we've been built in a certain way. Um, and I was very lucky to be introduced to these concepts very early on in life because my, both my grandfather and my parents worked with uh, tribes. My grandfather even worked with entirely untouched uh, tribes. Wow. Um, yeah, and he, he was, it was part of his job to make first contact with... Uh, with I didn't know tribes. that. Yeah. It's, That's it's, awesome. Uh, it's, it's an interesting story because my, yeah. my grandfather was a, a doctor in the tropics. And of course, this is a very, very dark page in, in, in Western history and Dutch history specifically, but this was at the end of colonization. And, mm. um, and also now with, with, of course, the whole racial equality debate going, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm very happy that it's finally happening. Um, I've, I've been very much raised with this awareness, uh, which I'm grateful for. It's always been kind of struggle. It's a different discussion, but uh, but it's interesting because there's a whole part of history and there's so many like big truths that are, that are fully being withheld from the, the mass population uh, in okay. so many ways. And I'm not even talking about a conspiracy theory uh, type of thing, but it's just like, for example, this is something I've always been aware of because my mother grew up until she was 12 in a Papua 
um, village, right? She grew up okay. with tribes of people that were before never met by, by any Western uh, civilizations. Wow. And um, of course, the Dutch have a, have a long history of colonization. And right. this was the end of that phase where um, the colonies were all kind of being, uh, well, colonization was ended and every colony needed to kind of be returned to another government or to change things. And um, my grandfather had just come out, come out of Second World War. He was very mm -hmm. sick during the Second World War. And uh, he, then he finished his medical degree. And uh, he wanted to be of the best possible service to the health of the world. He was like, yeah. the world, there's so much going on. He, he had just been through war and, and he knew and this is the, something that it's inspiring to me because he was uh, very young. He'd just been through war. And then he heard these messages of like, we have one of our last colonies and they need to be, they, they need to be helped because they have it very rough. And basically, the, the short story is, yeah. I won't go into the history lesson, but the short story is that um, the Dutch were going to leave there, but they were like, these people come from a completely different lifestyle. We need to make sure they have civilization because if we just leave and leave these tribal people there, then they don't have any grounds upon which to uh, decide their future. This was kind yeah. of like the, uh, the argument of the Dutch. And they were like, we're gonna, we need to stay there for a few years and we need to give them infrastructure and education. We need to make sure that they have mm -hmm. uh, kind of the gifts of civilization so we don't just leave them in a shithole. Well, which right. ended up actually making leaving it an even worse shithole. But I won't right. go into that, yeah. that part of the history lesson just for now, just kind of like to make the point is that my grandfather was like, I, I need to help people. I have a medical degree. Yeah. And even though he was living in a war-torn country in the Netherlands, he heard these people have it even worse. And he was like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to help. And I'm going to be of service. And it was his job to uh, uh, make uh, contact with the tribes and to do a population count and to do kind of like a health check. Like, what are these people like? How do they live? Uh, not what are they like, but more like not as an anthropologist, but more of like, okay, what's right. their current state of health? Yeah. And what do we need to provide them with in order to give them the, the gifts of, of medical civilization? Sure, um, sure. So he went there with a, with a, with a very strong mission. Um, and then he, he got there and he was like, but these people are healthy and strong. <laughs> and because he was like, they, they live in the most horrible circumstances. Right. Like they have, right. They're, yeah. they're, they're, it's primitive and they don't Which, have roads and right. churches what, and schools. Is, and, and they have it so bad. Yeah. 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 They, they must be suffering. And he got there <laughs> and he just found like these powerful, strong people. And they, these were warrior tribes yeah. and, 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 you know, shamanistic tribes. And, and he was like, this is, these people aren't savage. What, what's going on? Like, this is, right. they're the furthest away from savage. And what he saw also is that the more they had been in touch with civilization, the worse they were doing. Uh -huh. Because they were eating the wrong <laughs> shoes. They were eating the wrong food and they were wearing shoes. And they were like going to school instead of being outside in the forest. And he was like, whoa, we got it all wrong. This is oh crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. So he would actually, for example, like some things he would be very good at, like mending a broken bone or, or sure. curing an infection with antibiotics. Like these, right. these this stuff and he had like painkillers and um but he also saw healing practices for things that it, like he had no idea you could even heal these things you know and and also yeah. he saw there was even in the in the modern or in in, in like right after the second world war um, which you know is a long time ago but even then right. there were there were problems health problems in the west that he was seeing in his practice that he wasn't seeing among these tribes they were yeah. powerful they were strong they were inspired and and he was he he was like way way into their lifestyle and and, and they were his friends and he learned from them and he was like whoa i gotta i have to learn from these people 
Yeah. Um, and then, no, eventually, wow. well, politics fucked up and, right. and it was a big mess. There was a war. My uh, grandfather actually fled the country because there was a war starting. So he, my mother actually came to the Netherlands as a war refugee. Um, wow. uh, so she, she knows what, what being a refugee is like in that one. Cause they were like dropped in the ocean. They had to get on a cruise ship, like a whole thing. Um, and, uh, anyway, my grandfather then went on a mission to figure out where our true medical knowledge had gone. Cause he was like, listen, yeah. these people live in a forest. They, ha- they have, <laughs> they have no books, nothing. And they know right. more about healing than I do. And I've been medically trained with all the books in the world. Right. What's going on. And then he actually started to kind of like do the, the history research and he, and even tracing back to diaries of people's great grandmothers. And he traced that all back to the witch hunt where, you know, in a patriarchal uh, Christian society, having women who live freely on their own, who have power because they have, Can't healing, have that. Um, healing modality <laughs> and have that so they were fucking burned at the stake right yeah the, by the hundreds <laughs> the, the, the true holistic medicine and um I, I saw this i saw this uh, protest sign of a woman holding a, a sign saying we are the great granddaughters of the witches you couldn't burn and that's like oh, one of the most dude. inspiring things to like phew, goosebumps yeah anyway so so the point is that i was i was raised uh with these stories with the stories of of tribes with healing modalities and right. the stories of of how very recently, in the last hundred or two hundred years, the most most horrible things went on in relation yeah. to things like slavery and colonization. I mean, my mother grew up in a colony, right? She knows what it's yeah. like to live that that life. So I've I've always had a closeness to that. But with that, also the awareness that our our modern Western life, um, first of all, isn't the optimal human life in many right. ways, yeah. and also is borrowed not only borrowed from our past from 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 the from exploitation in that sense that also of course but it's also borrowed from our own well-being and our own health we basically we basically borrow comfort and and certainty or an illusion of certainty from our own actual well-being and our and our truest uh purpose and uh, and actually my, my mother when uh when she was as soon as she was 18 she went then to to central africa she uh, she met my dad there and she was a nurse my dad was a physiotherapist and um like my dad would build prosthetics from trash and he, they worked with the wow. Maasai tribes uh so by the time i was born we lived in western africa and i've always grown up around tribal art and around like the picture books which i'd always go through and like i always want to learn about this stuff so this this hunter-gatherer principle yeah um has been very real to me especially since i wasn't able to apply it because i used to be like <laughs> fat and sick and 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 depressed and miserable you've got to send but me a picture I... of the before casper uh, so that i i, I, I gotta know. show it because because I'm, I'm just letting everybody know and i'm gonna if you send this to me and i'm, I'm gonna pressure you to send it to me uh <laughs> I, I i gotta say the before casper looks 10 years older than you look now like it, it is an it really is amazing transformation. Um, so, and, and just, yeah. just really with, with a lot of these things, the, when it comes to breath work or a lot of the holistic medicines or, or plant medicine and things like that, I think one of the, one of the obstacles we do face is the fact that it seems so foreign. And so, um, uh, you know, to, to, to Western mind, you know, the, the woo woo, you know, that, 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 it's like, no, it can't be this. It can't be that because I know 
this other method, this is the, you know, it's, it's, this is how it's done. You take the pill and this is, you know, it seems so yep. different. A lot of times we have to overcome that. And yeah, absolutely. Is, is that something that, how, how do you, how do you help people overcome that kind of mistrust? Because I mean, you've got, I love that story you just told. I mean, um, so much of so much wisdom from like ancient cultures we're just now kind of just starting to tap into and say, well, what, what, what was going on here? Is, is that, how do you get people to kind of like get over the hump? It's like, and I'll do, that's too woo woo for me. Yeah. You know, do you get a lot of pushback that way? Um, no, no. And I think awesome. this is one of the things that ha I've been able to do with my background in science teaching. Yeah. And you know, like teenagers mm. have the most amazing ability to be skeptical Yes. And to question everything. But if you are real and if you're authentic, they'll be like, cool, got right. you. So you can right. speak from a completely different. And I used to work um, with many different uh, groups because I was a science teacher, like a, kind of like a high school science, well, European version of high school science teacher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for three days a week. And then the other days I would teach workshops, music workshops with, uh, with kids all over the place. And that brought me to a lot of different places. And for example, in... Um, uh, in, in far less privileged areas. I used to work with like really like troubled kid, like street kids, basically. I used to work with, uh, with uh, uh, mentally and physically disabled children. Um, so I kind of had this feedback mechanism of, of I have to show, there's two roads you can take as a teacher. Okay. You, can, you can borrow authority. Yes. <laughs> you, can play, yes. you can play the game of authority. You can right. pretend I'm the that teacher. authority is Do a real I, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And you can hope to rely on that. And then every time that you, you come in with like, I am the teacher, you must listen to me. And every time you get away with it, you're just getting away with it. That's like as it. soon as yeah. one kid finds out that that is not true and that you can't hold up to it, you're done, right? Yeah. Um, or the other route is you show up real and authentic, right. which doesn't mean you have to tell them your life story or whatever, that you have to be friends, but you show up <laughs> real and authentic and you'll be like, this is me. I don't know everything, but let's figure it out together. And mm -hmm. then you will always get, get some kind of, you, you, they, will, they will show you realness back, even if they have no idea where you're coming from. So yeah. that to me was an amazing, amazing uh, feedback mechanism where every time if I would pretend um, I wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't come across at the same mm -hmm. time though, as a teacher, you learn to adjust the packaging of your message to different levels of thinking, to different levels of language, to different age groups, to different everythings. And that is such a superpower that teachers get yeah. is that as soon as you talk to somebody for a minute, you have already kind of an understanding of how you're going to package whatever message you have in a way that it serves them. So yeah. it's not about putting on a mask and, and putting on a show in order to please an audience. No, it's right. about how, what, how can they receive it? Um, so I realized very uh, early on that I needed to take the, the Western scientific language route. So I kind of, um, it's about meeting people where they are. And honestly, yeah. if I'm completely honest, in the, yeah. in, re in the recent year or two, is the first times where I would every now and then have people be like, Oh, that's too woo woo for me. Oh, you're going to talk oh, about really? this. Yeah. This joke. Yeah. And it's because I've been, I, I, I've just been very uh, accustomed to having my own audience. And if yeah. I, if I come up and I, I start talking about a spiritual principle or I start talking about energetic principles yeah, um, or about shamanic things, because now more and more, if you look at the, the tribal healing, mm -hmm. there's a role of a shaman. And you know, yeah. if I come and, and, with my own audience, I've had the luxury of having my own audience who gets it. 
I can just yeah. get up and, and, and make a, a fart joke and then talk about right. the core of the right. universe and then talk about your soul and then talk about science and go in all directions. You got to have the fart so, joke uh, first and then, yeah, that leads into the exactly. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's like almost like a formula where it's like scientific fact, <laughs> something you didn't know, right. a fart joke, another yeah. scientific fact. Um, so <laughs> That's so yeah, teaching. I, I think it's, it's very important uh, for, uh, for teachers and coaches of, of all kinds is to learn to speak the different languages. Because I can, I can uh, I, uh, sometimes I'm, for example, in front of a yoga crowd. Right. I love the yoga crowd. Yeah. That's my people in many ways. And I, yeah. can, I, can, uh, I, I, can, I can go the chakra route. I can talk about that. Right. right? And, and I can link it to, to the scientific. But most of, like a lot of times I'm in front of businesses and corporates and kind of like a room full of gray suits. And then I, I know which words to use. And what the funny, what I realized very early on, and I also have the Wim Hof method to thank to this, is that it's a very visceral, real, kind of hardcore subjective experience to yeah. work with ice, to work with breath. Oh, yeah. And what I saw Wim do very early on when I was working with him, even before he was much more known than he is now, uh, people would be skeptical because he just shows up whim. He just shows right. up real. And that's something that I really learned yeah. from him. Like show up completely real. And he would be like unfiltered real whim. And some people would be like, I don't know. This is kind of woo. This is kind of weird. And after the ice bath, they'd be like, whoa. Right. Whatever that, whatever had just happened, I experienced something very real. And, right. And I think that bringing the body the, the real visceral experience, this primal experience back into, into practice in the modern world. That is what, what gives people this feeling of like, I don't know how it works. I don't know what it is, but I feel that I need to do this. So I think that that's an, that's an important thing. Yeah. I really having that experience because I, I was just like you, especially early on. Um, of course, when I found the Wim Hof method, I was scrolling through, I was, I was starting with meditation. And, you know, my joke is always that meditation is the easiest thing in the world. You just don't, you sit there and don't think about anything, right? Which yeah. is ridiculous, right? I mean, it's really hard to clear your mind and, and really to not think about anything or to, to let that peace come over you. And so I was scrolling through the internet. I saw an article it said, uh, learn to influence your immune system consciously. I said, that sounds like bullshit. Click, you know, I had to click it. <laughs> and then, uh, and, and so then there was this, this is Wim early on, you know, and uh, really there was nothing on the internet about Wim Hof at this time, at least, especially in the States. We hadn't heard anything about it. It was probably the only thing in English that uh, was about Wim Hof on the internet at the time. And so I was reading it and, there was a, it, was, it talked about the, the uh, PNAS study, you know, and, and so it all sounded ridiculous and I planned to pass judgment and move on, you know, with my life. But then I did the breathing, you know, I did the breathing technique and I was like, oh my God, what, you know? And that's the thing with, with all breath work, you know, and, and, and especially cold exposure, all of the, a lot of these things, a lot of it is just when you experience it, like you said, there's a subjective truth, you know, all the numbers and the figures, there's a lot of science out there that proves doing a lot of things work, you know, but when you can feel it right then and there, I think that's, that's the thing that really separated it from everything else from me. And so yeah. I, you know, then, then of course, you know, continuing the practice. And then of course I got to meet you 
and you put me in a frozen lake and, uh, and I'll never forget, you know, this frozen lake experience. Here I was out in Colorado, you know, and with a bunch of people that I, I knew to some degree, right? You know, I'd met them and we, we kind of knew each other, but I was like, oh my God, Jesse, you just joined a cult, dude. You joined a cult. <laughs> what are you doing here? Uh, but, uh, but you know, the, the thing is after that, you know, the years that have passed after teaching the, you know, the method and breath work and a lot of things to, you know, hundreds of people, you see, wow, there is that real impact that you're making. And, and like you were saying, you know, just trying to share it because it changed my life, you know, um, just in, in huge ways. Um, you know, I, I had to, yeah, one thing that I got really interested in is, yeah. is just generally state management and being more yeah. and more directed and specific at how we can kind of tease out certain states from the nervous system. And this is really what I've been focusing on the last few years is to find very specific patterns and rhythms of breathing that mm -hmm. almost guaranteed trigger a certain state in people. Well, so I, as I recall, you and I, we have something in common that we, we, we dabbled in drugs and alcohol quite a bit earlier on. And, and I think that is that self-medication, right? You're trying yeah. to state, do state management, obviously with negative consequences, but, but yeah, you can do that other ways as well. And that's, I think, yeah. what's so exciting to me. I think um, the, the, the problem with, um, with like state regulation through substances yeah. is that you're not really learning a skill. Now, there are yeah. very, well, there's many skills you learn. There's some things that come in handy. But, I mean, um, uh, if you use, so there's definitely ways to do it. So in the biohacking yeah. community, there's, there's lots of, of uh, proper um, directed and skillful use of things that, you know, 20 years ago, would have put you well it still would put you in jail in many places yeah yeah where and i live like in the for, west yeah it's still illegal. yeah it's like yeah. cannabis and, right. and and psychedelic substances which i have uh uh free use of well not free but i mean yeah it's there's the rules are, are much better here have um, to come visit. and if you if you use it in a very you should yeah, yeah. If you use it in a very conscious way you know exactly what you're doing then you're being skillful in your self-regulation and then they're just tools right it's always right. the human behavior not the substance but yeah, yeah. The, the the one of the reasons that that substance abuse instead of proper use is is so it's such a pitfall for the human mind is because yeah it, it gives you this sense of relief without having to first acquire this big skill yeah. um and with breathing is, of course, and meditation and, and like this mental training. And I've also done a lot of like self-hypnosis and other kind mm -hmm. of like mental stuff. There's a learning curve and you're going to have to re-ingrain all patterns and keep working with it. And, and, and there's so much, there's a really big investment in, uh, in time and energy and intention. And um, so it's, it's not the easiest route. But I yeah. think self-regulation is... The, the only real uh, skill that we need in the 21st century, the ability to understand that I, I am a system, I am a physiological system, and I am primed through millions of years of evolution to respond to certain stimuli in a certain way. That's just right. how I work, right? Yeah. And this yeah. is also, if you look at addiction from that perspective, then there is absolutely, I have absolutely zero judgment on anybody with any addiction because, I, well, first of all, I know what it's like to agree. Right. 
And also, if you really look at what addiction is, it's, it's not about being weak or about being a loser. But no, it's just, if you look at how the human system works and how it is kind of primed and built evolutionarily, subconsciously to respond to certain environments in a certain way, then addiction makes perfect sense. Like addiction, yeah. the, the kind of addiction epidemic, the obesity epidemic, the depression epidemic, all of those things I see as, as symptoms of a far larger problem. Exactly. I, we're out of touch with our nature. I call it, I call it whispers from your Neolithic grandmother. You know, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're exactly. getting it through our, our DNA and, 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 you know, because she's like, Hey, there's the sugar eat as much as you can. Yeah. Cause we're out in the Serengeti. We're, we're you know, we're going to, you, 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 there's not much of that in existence. You know, oh, there's salt. Oh yeah. Load up on that. You know, you, cause, because these are all things that at one time were in scarce supply. Yes. And so, but, and here's an interesting thing that, that, that could also create the assumption that our, our, our hunt together ancestors would then, um, splurge on whatever they had whenever they had it but also that they wouldn't do right right so yeah they would also have a culture of modesty and uh, a culture of and there's actually good there's a really good book called humankind it's written by a dutch uh, a dutch historian it's yeah. one of the best books i've ever written and he actually really nicely describes rutger bregman is his name which is Rutger Bregman would be the Thank uh, you. Bregman would be Thank the word. but anyway, the, <laughs> and uh, this tied so much together for me because he actually described this principle that shame used to be a very positive emotion because it, right. it, it was used to make sure that a certain amount of modesty would be preferred behavior and that if you don't have that modesty and you splurge or you steal or you amass a lot of possessions, then mm -hmm. you would feel shame as a feedback mechanism that would move you away from this this modesty, right? From, right. from, uh, from overabundance. And that would be a self-regulating system in small tribes that worked really well, which of right. course means that the more shameless you, you are, the, the more capable you are of gaining a lot of uh, authority and a lot of wealth and a lot of stuff. And actually, so it seems that the, the, the world leaders, the most powerful mm. people in the world, they show the lowest amount of uh, shame um, if you study them. And I don't want to say any names, right, but you know, right, you, you right. Americans we, we know a guy. Might, might be able to think of somebody, right? <laughs> and, okay. Yeah. And uh, so it's very, I think there's, there's definitely two things are involved. There's this tribal um, uh, uh, evolution, this ancestral evolution of, yes, we are primed to crave sugar and salty and protein, and we're primed to to have this inherent laziness inside of us where we always have to think how much, you know, if I'm going to invest calories, how many, how many am, am I going to get back? Right. But also societally, we have to respect our ancestors in the sense that tribal communities who would thrive, they would also have a set of behaviors. They would have a mindset that would allow them to thrive because of their minimalism and their modesty and because of their, their uh, willingness to share whatever they had. Right. And, and mm -hmm. it would be, it wouldn't be if most cultures that have been able to read about and that have been that have been studied, they wouldn't like splurge and go out, right? So that's yeah. also something that uh, there's there's a giant behavioral aspect um, in learning how to inhibit your behavior behavior in relation to these responses, because 
we don't really have the option to cr to fully change our environment, right? You can remove negative right, right. information or negative people from your life and, and all these things. But, you know, we still live in a modern world, which we should. I think we should. Yeah. The modern world is awesome. I'm so, talking to you. Right, exactly. Like going, it, this is going through it, space, isn't this Makes crazy? it all possible. Like, yeah. You're living in the future yeah. right now. I, I just woke up. You know, yeah, it's and it's true. the afternoon. It's, it's almost dinner time here. Like there's a flux capacitor here somewhere, probably. I don't know, but <laughs> but I'm I'm glad to be living in, the, in in this day and age. Exactly. Yeah. No. Absolutely. But now it's it's about it's about bringing it together. I think, and um, and in order. And what I love about breath is that I think you always have to start from the from the base. Like, what is the core function of human yeah. life? Well, it's breathing, right? If if you if you stop breathing, you stop living. It's very simple, like that, and. Um, and, and of course, if you look at it from a more spiritual perspective, which is interesting, like what is even before that? Why yeah. would we even be alive to breathe? Well, then, then there's, you know, it depends on who you talk to. There's different, different words for it, but there's, there's a purpose. You know, there's a soul yeah. yearning. There's, there's, a, there's a sacredness to life. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a whole reason why we even get to take that first breath. And I don't know the reason, and I'm, I'm not religious in any uh, formal way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. But that is also another question that we don't really ask anymore. And actually, especially in religions, that right. question isn't asked a lot. Because in religions, the last thing you do is, is question, right? But <laughs> that whole question of why are we even here to breathe in the first place? What am I, what am I doing here? What is, my, kind of, what is my life about? I think that's, that's also such an important thing that we need to uh, get back in touch with. And this is another thing that, that, that seems to be one of the core factors of human life um, in, in tribal settings. They would all have something bigger. They would all have an awareness of something far greater. And even though one tribe would believe that the squirrels are holy and the other tribe believes mm -hmm. the sky right, was holy right. and the other one believed that you had to like take a shit under a specific tree in order to get good crops or whatever it is. I was part of all that, of that religion, said, yeah. Yeah. yeah, all of that things, all of those things seem like random and futile to us, but it's really not about the rituals. It is about the understanding that there's something greater going on. Um, yeah. And that we don't have probably not even the slightest clue right now <laughs> to what it is for most of us. And I think that's a wonderful thing to just have that not knowing, but kind of like at least a, a, a desire to also strive to understand or to, to learn this. You sound like a guy that might be fun to microdose with and and talk about the the deeper parts of the cosmos so so as far as as far as your life i mean and, and applying i mean you've got a great depth of knowledge and 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 i just one of the things i love about you is is that you're constantly learning and, and adding to that knowledge how do you apply it just on a regular daily basis i'm always curious and of course i i, I watch your instagram you know I see these awesome Instagram posts. I saw the one about a hug the other day, you know, uh, hugging uh, Dr. Trish, who gives the best hugs, just got to say. Um, She's the hug winner. Yeah. She's the pro. So, so what, what does your average day look like? You know, are, are, you, are you microdosing on a regular basis? Is this something, you know, I'm, I'm sure you have somewhat of a regular process for, uh, for your breath work. I don't know, you know, I'm always fascinated by, you know, people's daily routines or, or do you even have a daily routine or is it? Is well, it, that's, it's don't. an interesting point because I don't really have a uh, average day anymore. Uh, oh, okay. Which I kind of, kind right. of like. Yeah. To me, um, routine and discipline were very powerful tools to get me on a trajectory. Yeah. And now that I'm kind of very sturdy on that trajectory, I don't have a strong 
need for uh, routines anymore. And I, I mm-hmm. came to a point where my routines were boxing me in a little bit. So I always like, I like building something and experimenting and learning to the point where it becomes natural and then to completely break it down and step away from it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to question all of the things that I do do on a regular basis. So for example, yeah. I used to always say I have this morning coffee routine. Then okay. I was like, well, who am I without my morning coffee routine? And then okay. I realized I'm, I'm an addict without yeah, my morning yeah. coffee routine. So, and then, I, and then I dismantle it and I pick it apart and I replace it with something else. And then I come back to it. And then, you know, it's, it's uh, so, but to actually answer your question, I definitely have a daily breathing practice, which is not formal anymore. I've gotten to mm-hmm. a point where, um, so the most important thing is to do a check-in, a self-check-in. Yes. And, a lot of times that is just sitting and, and trying to get out of my head because my, mm-hmm. as you may notice, my head yeah. is always kind of like on and, and a way of getting in touch with my body. And then I try to feel into my body and, and there's a cer- certain things that you can learn to feel like, for example, heart rate variability, yeah. which is something that, well, my, my aura ring measures for me so I can kind of benchmark it, but I try to feel that. So I take a few breaths and I just get a sense of does my breathing change slightly mm-hmm. between the inhale or this my sorry that's my heart rate change mm-hmm. between the inhale and the exhale when i breathe and if i take a few fast breaths does my heart rate go up and if i stop breathing does my heart rate slow down okay. and at what point do i feel the urge to breathe after i stop breathing right which says something about your okay. CO2 tolerance for example right. like so there's a point. few kind of yeah, yeah i don't yeah the bolt score is not my favorite but i, yeah. I use it but to me, it's not really the bolt score anymore because I just mm-hmm. do some breathing practice and it's, it's a very flowing, a very fluent thing where I speed up, I slow down, I stop, I hold in, I hold out. And if I just do four or five minutes of that, I know exactly where my body is, how much, okay. you know, whether I'm recovered well enough, if I've slept well enough, whether I need to have breakfast or not, whether I want to fast. Okay. Um, and then if I'm not in the place where I want to be, I then ask how much of this could I change? Gotcha. Um, yeah. And yeah. In, in which amount of time? And then, for example, like if I notice that my heart rate variability is low and my recovery is low and my body feels kind of sore, I don't have that that variability between the inhale and the exhale. Uh, then I, I I have the toolbox that I decide from. So, for example, sometimes I um uh, I do this coherent style breathing where I breathe mm-hmm. in a very specific rhythm. One thing I love doing is chanting. So taking mm-hmm. an inhale and lengthening my exhale as much as I can. Uh, doing rounds of super ventilation with breath holds in the Wim Hof right. Method kind of style or in, right. in, in different styles. And then I work with my breath for, for 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and I, I like to do that in the morning as soon as possible. Another thing that's absolutely fundamental for me is as soon as I get up and I do anything, I make sure I get daylight into my eyes. And I've been doing that for about two years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of my experiments as I started to, to kind of put together almost like a light diet to ask myself, which kinds of light am I getting in which part of the day? And luckily now it's getting really popular because the kind of the, the science is really catching up on this. And in the right. biohacking community about two or three years ago, this, this principle of photo biomodulation, mm-hmm. which sounds really cool, yeah. which basically means, changing the way the light you see so you change your biological setting uh was very very uh, always there with the blue blockers and uh, started wearing blue blockers like seven years ago when they still only made like the most ridiculous goggles i know i used to tease i used to tease but now i wear it too you know i I remember actually um i think it was daniel cortez um uh and actually it might have actually been 
when we yeah, were in Colorado. Um, sure, and he would wear those and I was like, I don't know about that stuff. And then, you know, about <laughs> a year later I bought a pair. So, yeah. Yeah. And around that time I was, I, and, and I always used to like show them at lectures and be like, they're, these are all the benefits and they also work great as a contraception. Yeah. There you and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's funny. And now, I mean, the most important thing is like, even before I wouldn't, I don't know if it's before breathing, but at least at the same level of breathing, there's sunlight. And sunlight yeah. is just so incredibly foundational. And it's another one of those things where we've learned like, oh, don't go into the sun and be careful and put right. chemicals on your body to stay away from the sun. Like the only right. reason we need to wear sunscreen is because we spent like 50 weeks inside under fake light, which is damaging to our health and our skin. And then we have two weeks of holiday and we fucking go into the heat of the sun every single day for hours and it destroys you. Yeah. Then of right. course the sun is a deadly laser, right? <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> However, like if you get if you get accustomed, this is also one of the reasons why I'm outside right now. I'm outside yes. whenever I can. And one of the great things that the Wim Hof method brought me is that I would be outside, barely dressed most of the year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it's get, great actually get sunlight, right? So and, and not it doesn't have to be direct sunlight, but daylight, the right kind of the spectrum at the right time. So as soon as I wake up, I want to get daylight into my eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, I drink at least uh, a liter of water, like I hydrate a lot. Okay. I do my, my breathing practice before that or after that, depending, or it also depends. Like if my daughter wakes me up and we're late yeah. to school, then it's a dad life, story. right? Dad life. It, it changes. Things. Yeah. You gotta be true. But then even then, like yeah. I, I've, I've been trying to make a point of this where if my daughter wakes up and usually I carry her down the stairs and I, she can walk down the stairs. She's my, she's my baby girl. She wants to be carried. And then, and then I hug her. And we, <laughs> usually we have like this direct skin contact, which I've kept yes. going every day that I can, that I have with her, uh, of her life, direct skin talk contact. And then I just open the door and then she feels a little bit cold. She's like, oh, it's cold outside. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna warm you up. So we both feel a little bit of that cold air. We get some sunlight in our face and our skin. And then we go about our, our daily rituals. So it's kind of what I try to do as a routine in that sense is, is the core things. I always have a breath practice. I always mm -hmm. make sure I get daylight, especially in the morning yeah. and in the evenings. And I always move, some kind of movement. And sometimes it's super intense, strongman style strength training. Sometimes it's a run. Sometimes it's stretching. Um, but I make sure that I get all of that in. And then, and then the fourth very important thing that I do every day is uh, something random creative. Uh, yeah. So, for example, uh, I've, I've recently taken uh, the flute, the Indian, native Indian flute, yeah. the Bansuri. And it's, it's a trip and it's a really, uh, and that's a breathing practice in itself. It's creative. It doesn't make any sense. There's absolutely no reason why a grown ass Dutch man would learn to play this flute, but that's why I'm doing it. And like I juggle, I can, like I've learned to juggle torches. At, at one point I was learning knife throwing. Um, uh, and I just want to make sure that I always do something that is not productive it has yes. no goal that yes. doesn't have, to have it's not a biohack it's not optimizing my health it's just doing something for the random joy of doing something random uh, it's a very important thing to me all right all right those all sound awesome now be honest what's a bad habit that you have that you would like to break do you have any left yeah yeah oh definitely okay. no i have yeah. uh, exactly I have spill it spill uh, it. <laughs> the worst the worst one yeah give me the worst my, one I mean, the worst one yeah, is yeah. my social media, my oh, social yeah. media behavior. Guilty. Yeah, yeah guilty. Yeah. Well, the problem is that mm -hmm. my business runs on it. Right? Yeah, I, so, exactly. 
and I have a very, uh, 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 I, I, I kind of like say, like I saw in somebody's LinkedIn bio, recovering type A. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of me. I'm recovering from a life where productivity is the purpose of my life, which was yeah. not healthy at all. Um, and the difficulty is, is that there's always something to do online. And it's not like I'm, yeah. well, sometimes yeah. like the worst, worst thing is, when I go into my Instagram account to answer messages, because I really want to be of service. So people ask me questions, yeah. I respond. I try to like every day I sit down and I try to deliver high quality content to this platform. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd like to say that that's where it stops. But then when I'm done, I go, oh, wait, let me check this thing. Oh, look at that oh, cute yeah. puppy. And like, oh, oh this yeah. is an interesting little thing. And, and you go down that and then like 20 minutes later, I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and I feel like put the phone down and, and walk away. And it's difficult because it's in between that. Like, for example, I don't watch TV. I used to watch TV. I used yeah. to like binge watch shows and it wasn't good for me, but I could completely like I can put take the TV out of my house. I right. can like not ever open any of the streaming uh, services and never watch a series or a movie again. Did you not see Tiger King? Time. You didn't see Tiger did King? Not, no. Oh, my God. No. Yeah. I did not. I, <laughs> how, I didn't watch. How will you live? How will you live will without live? watching Tiger King? You know? Exactly. <laughs> well, and it's, this is just like I like watching the news. I have no idea. Like, I've, uh, I, this is one of the most toxic things that I think a lot of people do without realizing. Is, is I've been, and, I've and been staying updated. I've been shamed before for not watching the news. Yeah. I, yeah and I'm true. like, geez, you know, I. It's not like I'm, you know, burying my head in the sand. But, but you know, after a minute, you can tell seems like they're repeating the same bad news over and over again. And, you know, so-and-so said this stupid thing or, you know, there is. I'm pretty sure that watching behavior. the news consistently and believing everything they say is putting your head in the sand. Well, that's <laughs> it's true. Like, that's a great point. Let me not ask any questions. Let me just believe whatever they tell me and not think about it. And I'm always reminded yeah, of Mark Twain, uh, who said that if, if you read the news, uh, or what is it? If you don't read the news, you're uninformed. But if you read the news you're misinformed. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of right there. Um, because I mean, what, what happens a lot of times I'll talk to people and it's, it's just like, if I'm not really in that narrative or of, of whatever news narrative they're into, it's like, man, I can't believe I'm like, I'm so sorry, I guess. I, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. That's, that's a bad habit. When it comes to, to binge watching TV shows, occasionally that's, that's something that I'll do. Uh, so I, I did watch Tiger King and, uh, that's, well, the difference is of course, whether it's a fully conscious choice and you're doing it because you know, you're doing it right. and uh, it's like going out for a night of drinking, which is actually, I, I, I never do that anymore. I just really don't enjoy alcohol anymore, but, but this is kind of like people at, Another funny thing, like I lecture yeah. about health and lifestyle, right. and especially when I'm in front of normal people and not my biohacking weirdo spiritual <laughs> people crowd. Right. There's always somebody goes like, wait, but you do drink alcohol every now and then, right? And they want to make sure like <laughs> you don't, like you can't be that much of a horrible person that you never drink a beer. Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting that I have to kind of defend not drinking a beer. And um, right. Because people, they really have this. and But then I also always tell them, like, I don't have anything against it. Right. It's just absolutely not for me. There's no way for me to enjoy alcohol in this phase of my life. And I've had plenty of experience <laughs> with enjoying it. Um, but the, the, then I kind of I also have to tell people, like, 
it's all about the behavior and not not about the substance and and what right. i like to do is yeah. kind of tell people this difference of like you can and especially because i i speak about oh a little bee past the camera that was cool oh cool um, yeah <laughs> the um especially because i'm i'm known as a as a breathing uh specialist you know and, yeah. and i tell people and then i i kind of sometimes go into this discussion of like is there a healthy way to smoke a cigarette and people are like, oh, what, what, what where is he going with this? Because apparently, like, if I don't go out for a few beers, and, and even if you're like a 40-year-old established person in the corporate world and whatever, yeah. and you, you go out for drinks with your colleagues, you have three too many, you end up kind of like puking on the street, your oh, colleagues yeah. kind of like make yeah. selfies with you, you're like, ah, oh, cool, you had a few too many, like, oh, what a fun guy, right? That's all good. <laughs> and, then, and then imagine, like... Uh, but then for example one cigarette is like the worst thing ever oh my and god yeah what i like to uh i am actually writing in, in my next book i'm writing this chapter about the uh the the self-love cigarette and the self-hate broccoli where uh <laughs> i know i know people who are, are frantically like obsessively eating healthy foods uh -huh. but if you're frantically and obsessively eating a healthy food it's not that much of a big difference between frantically and obsessively eating unhealthy food. Like mm. if the behavior, if the how and the why are toxic and damaging and unhealthy, then whether it's a broccoli or candy is just, a, you know, it's, it's a detail Ooh. because the pattern is self-hate. The pattern is self-destructiveness. And right. I've seen, like I used to in education, I used to do a little bit of guidance counseling every now and then with kids with eating disorders. And they would like, come from a period of, of eating junk food mm -hmm. um, obsessively to, to kind of like push down their emotions. Then they would go bulimic as kind right. of like a counter thing, which was self-hate and obsessive. And then they would starve themselves, which was self-hate and obsessive. And then later on, they'd be like, no, but I work out every day and I only oh, eat yeah. healthy foods and I eat enough, which is still self-hate and obsessive. And well, I'm like, what has really changed? You'll see this also with positivity. Things that things that we would encourage a person to do, right? Positive self-talk, um, you know, but, but you'll see a person, it's almost in a self-loathing way, do positive self-talk and they'll, and they'll oh, like, yeah. performatively say it to you. No, I say this and this and this, and this is what I say. I don't say this word anymore. And it's just to this <laughs> point where it's like, almost like a robot you're talking to. And I'm like, hey man, you know, I just. Yeah, it's like this toxic positivity of like, good vibes yeah. only. And, uh, but then again, like, if you look at the other side, like, uh, like good, good friends of mine, they don't smoke mm -hmm. either of them. And, and when they meet, they share a cigarette. It's their ritual. Yeah. They don't yeah. see each other often. It's like, we see each other once every few months and we have a thing. And when we see each other, we hug, we have a conversation and we have a cigarette and a whiskey or whatever. And it's like right. that one little, it's a ritual. It is that moment when we decide to both step into the same state with the same tool and we sync up and we have this deep moment of complete bromance and, and full-on love and enjoyment in the present moment. Wow, what an amazing moment we share together. Then sure, that cigarette will do damage to your lungs on, on like a physiological level. Sure. And every sure. sip of alcohol you take does some kind of damage to your uh, gut microbiome. And every time you drink a diet coke the aspartame will harm you in some way yeah. and every time you spend a little bit too much time in the sun it will harm you in some way right um and at right. the same time every time you watch the news or you you like you like spend 
an hour. I remember I was in, in this in this food place when the first times I came to the US and our news and, and commercials are different, right? And I was yeah. just like waiting for a meal for half an hour and I spent 20 minutes looking at Fox News oh, and boy. then I spent 10 minutes oh, watching <laughs> watching commercials for pharmaceuticals. We don't have commercials. Don't, we don't, don't have do ads for medication. That's not, no, it's illegal. Well, I, for good well, reason. It's illegal in the United States. I remember when they, they, they started oh, that. So it's illegal for us to have um, cigarette ads. And I think I haven't seen an alcohol commercial in a long time, you know, because those are the bad things, right? But yeah. we can have five back-to-back commercials. And then, you know, the first part, you know, you see the, the people and they're having a great day. And then it's just a long list of side effects, you know, at the very yeah. end, you <laughs> may have this, you may have this, you may have this, you may have it's this. Like, and that's this the commercial. Yeah, yeah. It, it, but they're happy. Medication could help you sleep five minutes longer, but also oh your nose may fall off. Right, right. <laughs> Internal bleeding. You you, you probably get uh, you get as much sleep, you know, and you're nervous and all these things. And I yeah, it's it's really amazing how that's taken over. Yeah. yeah. Well, so and then I was like, listen, yeah. I'm pretty sure that if I would have skipped this half hour of watching the news and, and watching these commercials, and instead I would have smoked a cigarette, my health would have been in a better place. <laughs> now, again, like, the only reason, like, I'm not suggesting anybody smokes a cigarette. Right, Absolutely right. Not. The point is that my, I use the cigarette because the cigarette we have chosen to be the bad guy. And then right. we're not really questioning whether... Now it's about the cigarette being evil, but, but yeah. no, it's the behavior that makes it that makes it bad. Um, well, it's so and, much it's so much simpler in, to live in that two dimensional world, right? Where this oh, is yeah, a bad yeah. thing, this is a good thing. Never shall they ever cross, and and you can't do a good thing badly or a bad thing in a, in a and you know it's always these these polar opposites. It's so much simpler to live that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. But but yeah, you you really have to think about your motivation, where you are. Uh, psychologically, why am I doing this? Um, because yeah, you, you would. We all know um, that we can punish ourselves with broccoli. I, I love that uh, you know example. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously, and it's funny because a lot of like kids get punished with broccoli. Literally, that's true. That's <laughs> true. It's like, oh, you're gonna have to eat broccoli. I remember yeah. I got. I used to get punished with uh, with exercise. So I learned to hate exercise. Um, you know, I kind of had that, I don't know if you ever played any sports, but at least yeah. in, in the United States and in Indiana. So I live in Indiana. I don't know if you've, you've probably never heard of Bobby Knight. He's this amazing basketball coach and he, he was known for like throwing things on the court and just getting angry and just, you know, screaming and stuff. And so all of the coaches in Indiana, they're like, well, if that's what coaches do you know so all of the you know the little high school coaches they were like well I'm gonna throw some so that was just kind of how I, I was introduced to sports I was like okay the coaches are always angry and uh, anytime I mess up I've got to exercise so exercise must be this bad you know punishment yeah. and of course then then you know my first 30 years of life were exercise as minimal as possible you know and and so I just learned to not like it anymore um, and, and then, and then now how'd you get so buff, man? Yeah, oh, dude, dude, it's all the roids. I, I got, I got, <laughs> I recently, I got accused of doing steroids and it was like the best day of my life. I was like, seriously, seriously. Aww, thank oh, you. Thanks. You know, so I'm, I'm just like flexing everywhere I go. I'm like, people think I'm on roids, man. So I am, I look at the steroids. Oh. I look at the steroids in my muscles. <laughs> You're you're so much better at Arnold than than I am. I think it's 
I think it's the, the slight Dutch accent. I, I've got a, like a, like a country boy uh, American accent. So it's, it's, it's kind of a harder thing for me to get, but I, I do the, you know, I got a little bit of an accent there. It's a country, <laughs> the country boy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, um, Casper, I really appreciate you being on uh, my, my podcast, my YouTube channel. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan. And I, I really appreciate everything you've been doing. And um, I'm looking forward to a new book. I, I, I'm, I, I just teased that out of you. That, that's my interviewing skills. You just said <laughs> that you're writing a book. So, um, so any other hints? about this book or, or we're just going to leave it kind of in the ether any idea of when this book will be out or what it'll be about uh it's it's uh difficult right now because i had all these ideas about what i wanted to write and then i started and i was like huh i'm not sure if that's the thing so i'm very much in, a, in an open uh, state right now where i have two or three um ideas that could be entire books um, I, I know ex what exactly how that feels yeah yeah so so what i'm doing now is just i'm, I'm, I'm studying where it can be of most service Mm -hmm. um, and I, I felt like maybe it's up to me to write a really awesome, extensive book about breathing specifically. And then James Nestor's book came out and I was like, boom, right. I could have never done it that good. That is right. such a good book. Um, so that I was like, okay, cool. So I don't have to read that, write that <laughs> breath book. It's funny because I'm like, he's a, such a good author. Such right. Good. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm currently, um, really uh, wanting to, um, I, I always feel like a, a responsibility to to put a lot of the stuff out there that I've been working on. So, and mm -hmm. then that's why I started this masterclass. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the work on the nervous system, reading the nervous system, kind of restoring function, um, and understanding how to self-regulate um, based on science. And this is something I really want to write about. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the in the first setting now, I'm actually I'm, I'm uh, I, I was gonna start writing like kind of almost like full time two months ago, and mm -hmm. uh, instead of that, I actually decided to build out this masterclass with uh, a whole bunch of uh, I've recorded up to ten hours of of lectures on oh wow on, um, yeah online lectures about breathing about chemo regulation about yeah it's nervous system. So, nice. and then once I have that done, once I have everything recorded, then I'm going to see what of that would be most of service in a book form and uh, kind of take it from there. But I really want to talk about these, these principles that are less mental. My first book was very mental, right. mind lift, it's right. very about mental yeah. and mindset. And now I want to be much more, write more about the body, about uh, the emotional side of things and, and, and that whole connection. So um Anyway, yeah, so yeah. I have some ideas. I'll be looking forward and, to reading. And it. I kind of want to. I kind of want to. I have one book idea that is that is more of a, it's more of a comedy style book, like a, okay, almost like a satirical biohacking book. Oh, nice. And, yeah, and um, so anyway, yeah, I, I have some plans. Those are more teasers. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But, uh, I love it. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. So, how can people find you and uh, sign up for all your cool stuff and? Well, yeah, best place to find me is on Instagram right now. Okay. Uh, so at Casper's Focus, K-A-S-P-E-R-S-F-O-C-U-S. I will have um, it in the link below. Oh, great. Yeah, and mindlift.com is my website with all of my retreats and classes and, and everything that I'm doing. All right. Well, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Um, I appreciate it. And guys, uh, thanks for watching. Uh, if you have not liked and subscribed to this channel, like, what are you doing? And uh, come on, do it, it now. Do it now. Okay. Anyway. All right, guys. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time.
Oh, yeah.